Hello and welcome to DNI Spy. I'm Dr. Julie Humphreys. And I'm Natasha Whitehurst. And as you know by now, here at DNI Spy, we like to uncover what's really going on in the world of equity, diversity, and inclusion. And in today's episode, we're going to be exploring how the media portrays disability and the difficulty that disabled people have with telling their own stories. And we're joined by Rachel Cholton Daly. Rachel is a freelance award-winning writer and disability activist. She's the founding editor of The Unwritten, a publication for disabled people, and writes a weekly column, even, for The Daily Mirror. Welcome, Rachel. Hello. This has been a long time coming. It has. (laughs) Big welcome. Um, So, first up, we're going to get straight back to basics. So, what do you mean by the media? So I mean everything from the press, publications, but also TV, um, the uh, cinema, pretty much anywhere that portrays people in a specific way, you know, anything that people are going to read. Right. Okay. Read or watch. Yeah. Or consume. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Perfect. So um, we we like to kind of like read around, read read around the topic as always. And it's always really kind of key to us that we we take these things back to basics and one of the things that we did want to pick up on it on is that you would refer to um so for example in the opener we said that a publication for disabled people on previous um in a previous episode we had kate nash and we discussed um not in loads of detail but we did touch on the term either people with disabilities or um disabled people so would be keen to hear your viewpoint and just to confirm which way you'd like to discuss it for this particular episode? Um, I prefer the term disabled people. The community on a whole prefers the term disabled people because when you say people with disabilities, I often think of it as something that people assume that isn't a, an integral part mm. of our uh, of our identity and who we are. And there was a big thing a few months ago with uh, with the uh, with uh, the AP saying. Uh, people with Frenchness and all of that silliness that came up about the way that you should uh, refer to French people Mm. and the way you should refer to other people. And it's, you know, it's, you shouldn't say people with Frenchness. You wouldn't say people with Frenchness. Uh, They used, they used French, they used uh, French people as an, as an example of Mm. the way you shouldn't say things. But the, the, the beginning of it was disabled people. And, Mm. uh, and they, they said you should still refer to a person with disabilities. And it's like, if you're learning all of these things to not, to not describe people, but then still say people with disabilities as if that isn't an integral part of who we are, mm. then, and it also, it also, I think when you say people with disabilities, it still has that sort of shame around it, like, mm. like that you're not proud of being a disabled person or that we shouldn't want to identify as disabled people. Mm. So that that's another really important one for me. I mean, anybody, I mean, you know, there's lots of, this disability isn't a monolith and being a disabled person isn't a monolith. So there are other, there are conditions where people still do prefer to uh, be called people with, such as uh, people with epilepsy prefer to be called that. Mm. Um, and, uh, and and some people do prefer to be called a person with a disability. But on a whole, I think, ask how people prefer to be referred to sure. and use it. Sure, sure. So, uh, disabled people will will we use that mm-hmm. use that phrase yep. for today. Um, yes, but kind of bringing it back then to the media, the UN said that the me you know the media can be a vital instrument in raising mm-hmm. awareness, countering stigma, and misinformation. In your mm-hmm. opinion, how does the media portray disability? 
So in the media, there is a very black and white view of disability. Disability is either somebody who has the worst time of their life, uh, somebody who is experiencing all the hardships and how awful disability is, or they are this inspirational person that should be held that should be held aloft. And there's never really an in between. There's never re- you don't see pe- disabled people thriving. You don't see disabled people just going on about their daily lives. You don't see you don't see disabled people in relationships. You don't do, see you don't see um, a variety of different disabilities and different disabled people doing their jobs. You know, it's very much this is the worst part of disability, and this this or this is this look at this amazing disabled person doing this despite their disability. Because when when we do see the inspirational stuff, it's never it's never from the view of this is what somebody can do when they're given the chance to thrive. It's this is what somebody is doing despite being this worst mm. possible thing that they can be. You know. So yeah, so absolutely. So when we were looking into this, so with, um, four key things came up around this area. So maybe we can uh, t- just take a look at each of those. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, there was sensationalised headlines. So that mm-hmm. that contributes to a culture of pity. There's a lack of representation uh, when the disabled people are seen as stereotypical or one-dimensional. Then there's this um, pity or inspiration porn. That's sort of the mm-hmm. third one. And then finally, there's an, an overemphasis on the, the individual triumph uh, rather mm-hmm. than that actually they're facing systemic barriers. Yeah. So maybe mm-hmm. we could take each of those in in sort of uh, uh, turn. Let's let's talk about maybe sen- sensationalised headlines, um, which is contributing mm-hmm. that. Cu- towards that culture of pity which may even link in with that sort of inspiration porn have you got any thoughts around those headlines and what contributes to them and you know um any Uh, examples i mean you know papers have got to sell stories at the at the end of the day they've got it they've got it in this uh world where um media is viewed by clicks and people get advertisers and stuff like that from clicks or by how many papers they sell they've got they've got to be the ones who have the most eye-grabbing headlines Mm. Uh, eye-catching headlines, not eye-grabbing. That's not a thing. <laughs> I, like your that. <laughs> I, I liked your it though. <laughs> pulling your eyeballs out. Uh, eye-catching headlines. So I understand it from that point of view, and from the point of view of someone who who's created media. But um, you know, when we sensationalise disabled people's lives and disabled people's stories, and and bring them down basically to to um, to just the worst part of their life or the or take their stories out of context and just reduce them to headlines. That's what that's all you're doing. You know, you're saying this person's only this story only matters if it can grab the most attention. And it often it often leads to, especially when it's opinion pieces and stuff like that, it can shape the way people think mm-hmm. about people if they don't even read the whole story. You know, so you've got things like the narrative of disabled people being benefit scroungers and stuff like that. Mm. Whereas if you if you actually look into that story, there are very few uh, cases of disability benefit fraud, which is very rarely mentioned in these things and and stuff like um, and things like. Um, Again, going back to the trauma and uh, including very specific mm. details or reducing someone down to um, woman woman left for dead, that sort of thing. You know, it, do, it does just make the worst parts of our life 
fodder for advertisers really that's all you're telling us that we're on that our stories are only as important as how many papers you can sell yeah and it, it does contribute to that that culture of pity doesn't it so what about yeah. the um these systemic barriers that people are, are facing rather than when, when the media focuses um on you know something an individual triumph um and they say no oh, how great what a superhuman person mm-hmm. they are mm-hmm. um, rather than those systemic barriers yeah it ignores the fact it ignores how much disabled people have to how much more disabled people have to work to get to these uh to get to these big milestones Mm. in their lives you know and it ignores the fact that the disabled people would be able to do just as much as non-disabled people if it wasn't for inaccessible schools inaccessible workplaces if it wasn't for the fact that uh people didn't want to hear about disabled people didn't want disabled people doing these jobs because they thought they were less than them and stuff like that, you know? So you, you've got to, it when you only tell the stories of, um, of triumph and don't talk about the barriers to access and don't, and only portray these people as superheroes, um, you completely ignore all of that, you know, like, mm. um, so Stella Young coined the term in small porn. Uh, she is no longer with us. And, um, she, she she always talked about how she won awards for attending school and if you would if you wouldn't call these things a triumph for non-disabled kids or non-disabled mm. adults why are you seeing this as a triumph because mm. disabled people can do it you know like surely you should be looking at why you think this is a triumph and the yeah. fact and the barriers that are stopping the disabled people from doing these things and i i'm just going to i think take us slightly off course not that I do that very often but I think (laughs) I I do think that and I've said this previously I think that there is a real nervous nervousness of people talking about disability I think it still feels like a taboo for some people I think people feel I think people feel really uncomfortable talking about disability and I think you know the work that you you know that you're you're doing and us even having this conversation is really really important because actually people are still so uncomfortable mm-hmm. I think it's the only way way I can kind of describe it well you know it's only in the last 50 years that disabled people stopped being put directly into asylums and stuff you know and people and that disabled people were locked away for being different so of course when people especially older people have been brought up to to think that disability is shameful and to think that we shouldn't mm. be talking about disability then they're not going to want to. And I think a lot of the time as well, it comes from politeness because, you know, British people are very, are very worried. And this is not just a British problem, but it is also a very British problem. We're, we don't want to make each other feel awkward. We don't want yeah. to make each other feel, we don't want to make each other feel uncomfortable. And when disability is seen as something that's shameful, mm. we don't want, we don't want to, um, we don't want to draw attention to that. And we automatically think because, the media and because society has this view that uh that disability is a bad thing we don't want we don't want to make people feel bad when Mm. in reality disabled people are living brilliant lives and we're not ashamed to talk about the thing that makes us different you know Mm. it's not that it's making us less than you it's not that it's making us wrong or worse off we're just we just live different lives and that should be what when the media is striving to be diverse, that should be what it's looking at, you know, showing the different kinds of lives that we lead. And do you think then that um, as Generation A come through 
uh, into the workforce that people will feel differently around mm. disability? Yeah, I think I think this generation is definitely demanding more. They're demanding better of uh, media representation, but they're also they've also grown up in in a time when the media has when it has started to come through, and they've grown up in they've grown up where they are slowly starting to see more role models, and they're slowly starting to see them, and they're slowly starting to think, okay, but why aren't I being seen as I am? I'm not ashamed of who I am anymore because of people who've came before them and who have stood up and said, we shouldn't be ashamed of who you are. So hopefully, hopefully they are starting to demand more. But the only problem there is that the workforce is still commanded and it's still run by a lot of older generations who don't see the problem. Yeah, they, it is at the moment. Absolutely. So so um, I've been playing around with chat GBT recently. <laughs> As everybody knows, oh. <laughs> so, get ready. Uh, well, so I, so I just p- posed the uh, the AI the, the question that we're thinking about today in terms of, you know, do um, do the do, do disabled people have a, a hard time with the media? And it said that disabled people do have a voice in the media, but there's a long way to go to ensure their voices are heard and their experience are represented fairly and accurately. So ChatGPT sat on the fence in that one. Mm. So can you give us any examples or any thoughts really about those positive efforts where the media has portrayed disability well? I mean... I'm going to be very self-serving here and mention the Mirror Disabled Britain. Yeah, go Mirror. Yeah, honestly, like I've been working in the media for about seven years now and I've, I've written a lot of stuff for different outlets, but it was only when the Mirror came to me and asked me to do a uh, Disabled Britain uh, that I really saw a big change in how, uh, in how it was done and it, the, the big change is that the media needs to have a top-down approach. You know, there needs to be disabled people at every level. So having someone like me who was editing the series, who was, who was telling, not telling, but advising how headlines should be, what images mm. should be used, uh, because, you know, nobody's perfect and this isn't a thing that people have learnt about, you know. Um, so, so in, like, and asking disabled people to write about their own stories because... This isn't the first series of this kind, but it is the first series in a major newspaper that have had all the stories by disabled people. When other places have done this, they've been stories about disability and mm. not by us. And that that really makes a difference as well. You know, there needs to be there needs to be more disabled people writing about us and not necessarily writing about ourselves, but writing about interviewing disabled people uh talking about the issues that affect all disabled people yeah and another one was uh the glamour self-love uh issue which i also worked on <laughs> <laughs> bit of self-promotion uh, did, we love that rachel <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean i mean you know if you're going to ask me who who's doing the best in this arena it's going to be me love uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not uh no so uh no Glamour did, um, it was at the very beginning of the year, they did a self-love issue and the cover stories were uh, three disabled women. But also all of, all of these interviews were done by disabled people as well. All of the, all of the writers that they got to write the stories were disabled people. And I think, I think that made a big difference as well, because it meant that it wasn't just talking about, how do you feel as a disabled person? How, how do you feel about your body? The conversation in every single one of them changed to, 
why do you think you felt bad about your body? Why do you think you were made to feel bad about your body? And that was that that that's a big difference, you know, because it's not something that's talked about. The reason that we feel bad because we've been made to feel bad, especially by the media and mm. especially in a women's magazine who yeah. has such a commanding voice on how women feel, you know. So, so it sinks like that. And, and I'm just going to go off a slight tangent here. So so I feel quite... Um, not like us, no. or you. I feel quite <laughs> not offended. Like me. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, and uh, so I feel a little bit offended, but not dramatically offended. But I just... Because when we talk about the media, and you've just pointed out two parts of the media there, the Mirror and Glamour magazine, that have done, done okay. And it makes me feel like we should maybe couch the media in different terms because it's oh yeah yeah it's not all parts of the media you know there's different there is there's definitely some places that are doing well but there are also a lot of places that um that write horrible stories about disabilities such as that they don't that the disabilities aren't real that that uh that young people especially are making them up for clout and that everybody has adhd now because they think it's trendy stuff like that you know in this and there are also parts of the media that actively work with the government to demonise disabled people, you know, in terms of are they benefit scroungers? Are they all not really wanting to work? Stuff like that. And it, so it's not, it's not it's not all of the media, you know, but there there is still a significant part of the media because because again, because of the government, there's been such a big uh such a big onus on how bad and wrong disability is that it's hard to get out of you know Mm. I think going back to what you said about um where we've seen kind of positive efforts so thinking about Mm. kind of disabled Britain and and glamour actually it feels as though that they the the theme within that is definitely around kind of like authenticity so actually Mm. having that kind of authentic Mm -hmm. real life voice and, and, and and perspective is what is making it positive and and, and a positive mm-hmm. effort if that makes sense and I think yeah uh-huh. going back to what you said about having you know when you did the Disabled Britain series actually you were sat in the room you were editing at mm-hmm. that kind of senior level and able to provide perspective mm-hmm. and I think we don't I don't think anyone is asking every person to know everything but actually no. go to the people that do have that lived experience do go mm-hmm. have that perspective and that mm-hmm. then gives you and helps you with that authenticity right I think it makes a difference as well so there's you know there's a, a trend at the moment to put on um, conferences to talk about whatever right. it may be disability or sexual orientation gender identity etc but what we see that actually matters is for the media that you actually get in there and do the job and and mm-hmm. provide an authentic voice by doing that job and I think that for me is more powerful than shoving on a conference getting 500 people to go tick the box and let's let's go back to how we used to be exactly absolutely you know I mean I mean there can you can you can hold as many disability and media conferences as you want but unless you are having disabled people writing for you on a regular basis not just when it's a special issue unless you are having unless you are going to disabled people to ask them to write about these issues instead of just going to them for comment and then having a non-disabled person write it from the things they from the um not not from their point of view but from from the sort of their learned the way they look they have learned to write stories you know unless you have disabled people actually authentically telling these stories it's not going to make a difference and it's not mm. going to make a difference in the way the public view you, especially the way the disabled the disabled community view you. if you are just hosting these things and they're 
and then the next week publishing awful stories mm. about disabled people mm. by uh you know narrowing them down like uh narrowing them down to just their just their uh, just their mobility aids or saying that their condition doesn't exist and stuff mm. like that yeah, the Media Trust um, brought out something last year in 2022 for International mm. Persons Day, Day of Persons with Disabilities. Oh, we got that mixed up. It's um, a long it's a title. Long it's um, a long one. <laughs> <laughs> International Day of Persons with Disabilities, disabilities and also you. all of the other stuff. <laughs> so they brought out last year a thing for the media, a sort of a, um, a I suppose it was a, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Toolkit, guidance document. No, 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 so. no. It was call a call to action. Yes, it was. Thank you. It was a call to action to say, can you um, get to twenty-two percent of your content and your contributors um, being disabled, or uh, and unfortunately, like not many organisations could do it. And there's a number of reasons why, but it was you know personally, I think that's a really interesting target of why to do it and, and, and how to do that did you see that Rachel last year yeah uh-huh, I did I did see that and I know I know for some it was that they felt like it was the, the reason that they didn't do it was they felt like it was it was quite short notice which uh again if you know enough disabled writers it shouldn't be that short mm-hmm. notice like I get that it was that they were only given a couple of months notice but again you know if you're if you are actively trying to change what you need to be thinking is, okay, what disabled writers can I call on? Who can I talk to? How do I how do I make it so that next time I'm called on for this, we should we should be doing this, you know? And even though it was on International Day Disabled Persons, it shouldn't have been forgotten about mm-hmm. in November. It should be something that the media is striving for all year. So that so that by the time we get round to November again, they can go, Oh yes, we've got we're not quite there, but we have got this many disabled people who write for us. Yeah, it's something here at Reach that we are, as you know, we were over 110 titles, both national mm-hmm. and uh, regional, and um, it's something that we're working towards. But you're right, mm-hmm. it's um, it shouldn't be, oh, we've only got two months notice, let's, let's get it together. But mm-hmm. in practice, it's taken a big, big sort of lot of work and a big project to actually oh, yeah. make sure we get to that, um, that level of contribution. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so you'll be called on to help us with that, Rachel, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> I know enough disabled people who want to write. Don't worry about it. And that's just it. That's another thing. Like I'm becoming, I'm starting to become the go-to person for a lot of people to write these stories, and that does make me uncomfortable because it's like, okay, I'm I'm a disabled journalist. I'm a disabled writer, but there are so many other disabled journalists mm-hmm. and writers mm-hmm. who, if you if you do the research, it shouldn't just be somebody who comes up on the first Twitter search. It shouldn't just be somebody yeah. who comes up on the first page of Google. You know, it should be it should be who else should I be asking as well as this one or like you, you know, two or three or four. Yeah. But do we have a problem? More... Do we have a problem there though, Rachel? Because um mm-hmm. disability is I think probably one of the um in terms of demographics is the one that people don't want to acknowledge disclose. or disclose yeah, yeah. so therefore how Absolutely. do we get to you know to increase the level of contribution from disabled people if they don't want to disclose that they are disabled well i think first of all we need to make it an environment where they don't feel that they um where they don't feel that um that it would change what mm. they do and it do- mm-hmm. it doesn't it wouldn't change how they are viewed as people you know because a lot of people are worried and it's the same for sexuality a lot of people are worried about 
identifying as disabled or, or coming out about their sexuality because they're worried of prejudices and they're very they're worried yeah. that relationships would change and stuff you know uh, so we need to we need to get to the point where people can actively uh disclose that without being worried but we also need to we also need to foster an environment where it's possible that uh that disabled people feel that they will be welcomed you know so we need to especially in media the main reason a lot of a lot of disabled people don't work full-time and it's not just in media is that um is that it's just it's just not an accessible uh yeah career path you know so it's things like always having to have a uni degree it's things like um it's things like having to work long hours always having to be in office and even though the pandemic has changed that a lot of places quickly went back to in office yeah so you know, it's it's things like making it possible, but also, also a lot of pe- a lot of disabled people write anonymously because it's safer for them. So, and a lot of publications don't like that. So it's about making it safe for people to write about that the things that they don't necessarily want their names on because of things like the government and stuff like that. And then that also leads to why should disabled people have to write about things anonymously and worry yeah. that the government are going to be on their backs if they write if they write about disability you know there's a there's a lot to think about there's there's a lot there isn't there and i i, I was just going to say why why is that what's the um what's the reason behind the kind of anonymity anonymity but you've kind of i can't say that word but you've kind of alluded to anonymity yeah so it's it's a lot of things such as uh disabled disability benefits uh when you when you uh when you get disability benefits are tied to your job people Mm. will um the uh the government will check up on you they'll do online checks on you and stuff to to see if you're posting about working and to see if you to see if you're acting in a way that uh that is as uh that is you know say if i said on my um if i said on my application that my job was that my ability to work would be affected because i can't stare at computers but then they saw that i wrote columns they'd be like well she's staring at a computer uh, even even though you know one column can take me two days to write and I'd have to take a break and I, I ended up with a migraine. They don't see the nuance. They just see that this person is working when they say that when they say that uh, when when in their eyes they are yeah somebody who and also it's, it's this thing about being wary of speaking out against the sure. government as well. Sure. So you've talked about a few um, ways that the media can positively represent people in terms of, you know, well, make sure they're welcomed in in terms of the culture. Mm -hmm. And um, are there anything, is there anything else that you can suggest? Um, Yeah, just uh, reach out to disabled people. Make sure that when you are reaching out to disabled people that it's with paid work, not with uh, with comments and so make sure that you are, that you know, making the small changes in the way you write and the way you talk about disabled people to make sure that when this when disabled people look at your publication, they can they can actually see that you truly care about us and not just because this is a trending story. Mm. Things like that, you know. Mm. And, and Be more positive. Yeah, make it make it not necessarily. I mean, not all disabled people stories are positive, but just in a way that really talks about that really highlights who we are, you know, mm-hmm. and not just for clicks. And what about um, sort of making sure that actually the content that we produce as media organisations is accessible? Yeah, that's something that is a big one as well, because, you know, a lot of 
a lot of media organizations again it goes back to ad revenue and stuff like that so they need to have things like loads of adverts on their pages they need to have pop-ups and stuff but that's not that's not necessarily accessible like one thing i get a lot is disabled people telling me you write for a you write for a publication and a lot of disabled people can't view your content and that does make me feel bad you know but at the end of the day it's not something that i can control and necessarily and i know that um there are reasons behind that but that there's there's there needs to be less clutter on these websites and stuff. Mm. And that's always something that, that uh, disabled people come back to, visual clutter. And making sure that even if you do have, have adverts, the website is still accessible. And there's things like, you know, um, when we did Disabled Britain, me and uh, me and Dan sat in a room for two hours transcribing or uh, read it, reading out all of the... Um, all of the stories um, to make sure there was also audio on stories. And while mm. that can be hard for um, for websites to publish hundreds of stories a day, mm. it's still a start, you know, like yeah. there are things like AI and and there's there's equivalents to chat GP that can do the that can do the um the audio versions of stories yeah. and stuff. And it should like even even as a small organization, um I, that's something I struggle to do because it does take a lot of energy, but it's it's ways that we can make the media more accessible and things like you know the the basics like yeah. alt images and stuff like that. But yeah, it's 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 about acknowledging that um, yeah, ad revenue is important, but also so is making sure people can view your websites. And I think I think also it's about you know you don't have to um, conquer everything in one day. Actually, mm-hmm. you can start small, yeah. like you say. You know, you you did the audio versions mm-hmm. of of articles and actually that's not just that's not just accessible for disabled people that's accessible across the board like that means yeah. you know that means that people can if their preference is just to kind of listen to something rather than mm-hmm. sit reading at another screen or um reading mm-hmm. a newspaper that they get that opportunity yeah. so uh-huh. yeah um julie sorry i cut over you no no uh, no not at all i was just gonna um ask rachel um about sort of being action orientated so as DNI's by we ask all of our guests uh, uh, if you have a top tip or in, or inclusive action that you'd like to share because we we do say a lot that inclusion is an action. Yeah. Mm. Um, reach out to disabled people. I think more than anything, make sure that disabled people are included and that we're paid. <laughs> I think that's the that's the top one to to reach reach out to us and. Uh, do it in a way that makes us feel that our, that our opinions and our stories are valued, not necessarily in a way that um, that makes you profit, you know? Awesome. Thank you. This has been such a great conversation. I feel like we could have gone for like hours <laughs> and know. hours that here. Too quick. We could I have could, like put I the could, world to rights even more. I could I could talk for hours. You guys know this. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you should be really grateful that I'm not in this studio more than anything. <laughs> well, next time you're in London. Yeah, definitely. Next time I'm next time I'm coming down. Definitely. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel. It's been really interesting listening to you and uh, hearing about all of your views about how the media can change, really, and what we can do better. Oh, thank you guys so much. Oh, that was good. 
Yeah, shame um, Rachel couldn't come down to the big old smoke of London town. But, but for um, anyone that was or does listen to the episode, she had um, a great yellow um, armchair that she was sat in. Loved it. In a mustard colour yellow jumper. It's all about the yellow. These Spring vibes, baby. Spring we a, vibes. We had a big conversation before we, we started press record about bees getting you <laughs> if you wear yellow. <laughs> Which I'm convinced they do. Everybody I think else doesn't. Given you are a doctor, Dr. Julie, I want some research. <laughs> I would like a point of reference. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to take some empiri- empirical research on that. <laughs> How um, do you find it? Uh, yeah, really interesting. I yeah. think the way, uh, just the way we, we looked at it as a group of three in terms of what is the media what are the positives what are the challenges Mm. what can we do i thought that was really helpful in structuring it yeah Um, and i liked the way um that yeah diverse voices are important uh and there's some really great positive things that the media can do Mm. so for example avoiding those stereotypes um ensuring accessibility is a priority around content yeah um increasing the number of disabled voices actually in media organizations i think that's really important whether they be um like permanent or freelance you know um, it's, I think it's important to make sure that disabled people are consulted sure, sure. Um, on stories and do contribute to stories. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's where it then ties back to where we see success is that authenticity. And we said that in the podcast, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think with Rachel, though, there's always a realism and I think that's good. And I think, you know, that element and, and focus on actually the media does need to do some work, but appreciates that not everything can happen all at once mm. so there is a there's lots of improvements and places that we need to improve but small marginal gains as well um is important um and i think that idea and suggestion of you know audio versions of content and whilst you can't stop your adverts because of pop-ups or whatever it may be actually there are ways around this to make things more accessible but i wrote down whilst um rachel was talking we just live life differently i think that's um that's a, a separate probably conversation but something mm. something that i'll take away yeah definitely and i took away the fact that uh producer dan our own producer got a bit of a, a name check hello yeah so um dan worked with rachel on the mirror um campaign yes um, for disabled britain absolutely so it's nice that uh he gets around a lot <laughs> he'll delete that um <laughs> So top tip, reach out to disabled people and make sure that you're paying them for their time, um, which is really important um, from Rachel's perspective. Yeah, definitely. Because a lot of people in the DNI field um, give up their time and we're asked all the time to go speak, speak um, free of charge um, and go to it conferences and provide mm. articles and things and free. Insights. Insights, absolutely. Um, and a lot of money make a, a lot of people make a lot of money from that. Mm. Um, people giving their time. So I think it's right that Rachel shouts out that, you know, pay people. Absolutely. Mic drop. You can find us on Twitter. Our handles are in the show notes below. And if you've liked what you've heard, please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to get new episodes automatically. Thanks for listening. <laughs>